Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week's guest is Noah Drotti. Noah is a professional runner living in Boulder, Colorado, alongside about half of the guests that have been on this podcast. Noah is a self-described blue-collar runner, humble yet motivated to chase fast times out on the roads and perhaps eventually even on the trails. In this episode, we talked about his training over the last few years as a pro, as well as his training leading up to the 2019 Chicago Marathon. We talked about a friendly bet he made with Jim Walmsley at the start of the Houston Half Marathon, which led to a discussion about future 100-mile plans. This was another fun one with plenty of fan and girlfriend submitted questions. I hope you enjoy. Cool. So I am here in Boulder, Colorado with Noah Drotti. Noah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining today. I'm glad your your dog was able to 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 get his business done or her business done too. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm late, but we made it, and my my dog is satisfied. Perfect. That's really the most important thing in life. It is happy dog, happy life. Exactly. Um, so we're here in Boulder, Colorado. You've lived here for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's kick things off with a question that generally stumps most people. Who are you? Oh, God. Uh, I don't know. No one really knows who they are because it's a constant like evolution, right? Um, yep. I mean, in terms of just like uh, my Twitter byline, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional athlete. Right. Stay-at-home dog dad, uh, boyfriend, son um friend all those things uh you know any any more intricate than that i guess it kind of depends on the on the day but i think i'm a pretty simple man just trying to get better at the thing i'm passionate about and you know generally finding my way cool that's a that's that's a good answer um so you're you're a professional runner living here in boulder colorado mm-hmm. um i feel like i was swiping through some of the the um you know, the dating apps while I was here and, and you're kind of like an oddball if you don't list runner, hiker, crossfitter, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, what's it like being in an environment where everyone is so active and so fit and you walk down the street and, you know, everyone looks like a pro athlete because they are. <laughs> yeah. It, it's mind blowing me for me still now, four years in, uh, I come from Indiana. Um, then I was a runner in Indiana, obviously. And, Eventually, I decided that I needed to, you know, I decided that running was the thing I was passionate about and my life was directionless. And I was like, well, maybe I could get better at running. So I was like, where do I go to get better at running? And, you know, Boulder ended up being, you know, the spot that I went out to. And yeah, in Indiana, it's like, you know, you maybe see one or two other people out running, but it's like I went out running here and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, it's the, not only are there so many, you know, recreational and hobbyist athletes out there, but the uh, density 
of professional athletes, um, both active and retired, um, is insane. I mean, it's just the pool is so deep here, um, which is incredibly motivating. I mean, just in my first, uh, you know, a few months, I was meeting Olympians and former world record holders, current world record holders, all kinds of stuff. So as a fan of the sport, beyond just a participant in the sport, uh, it's been a real trip for me. Cool. Do you, so a friend of yours, Matt Daniels, has uh, coined the term or somebody else coined it, Boulder Average, being having a shoe sponsor. Yeah. Um, what's it like being in that environment where, you know, he's like, I can run a four, sub four minute mile, but like, who cares? So can 50 people within, you know, two miles of here. What's it like being an athlete of your caliber and being surrounded by such greatness? Um, for me, it's really, uh, it's really cool and really motivating. And now, you know, I'm, I'll turn 29 soon. I almost consider myself an older athlete here. And so it's cool to have people older than me and then a good crop of like younger athletes too, that we can all just you know, I feel like it's kind of, if you're in tech, it's like being in Sil- the Silicon Valley, <laughs> right. you know, kind of you meet up and everyone's trading ideas and trading workouts and, and we all, and there's something special about going somewhere and everyone understands what it is you do. You know, you can skip that whole phase right. of explaining to somebody, oh, I'm oh I run, yeah. You know, um, so yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of benefits to that. You know, there's some drawbacks, like sometimes you just want to go and have a drink and not talk about running. You know, or you want to go somewhere and not think about running. And that's harder to do here. Right. So you have to be a little bit better about compartmentalizing your life. Um, but the the benefits, I, I would say, drastically outweigh those negatives. Makes sense. So I know I preempted this by saying we're not going to look, look backwards, but let's look backwards for a second. Um, why did you go for your first run? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I was, you know, I, I was kind of the kid who played all the sports growing up. And then, uh, my dad had been a runner, um, in high school and college, a pretty good one and continued running, um, until I was young and then kind of stopped. But yeah, I was like, I was like, okay, I'll go out for high school cross country. And I was like, I, if I can make it around the parkway behind my house, it's probably like a pretty good indicator. The parkway is maybe a mile around. And I remember like going out for a jog with my dad and, uh, one of my friends, and by the time we got back to the house, I like collapsed in the yard and I was like done, you know? And, I, and so I was like, well, I should probably be able to do that before I show up for cross country practice. And, uh, and so that, you know, cross country was just like another thing to try really, you know, I was, I still ended up playing basketball and other things. So I guess I just went for that first run to see just what it see was it. about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what, why'd you, I guess more importantly then, why'd you go for the second one? Um, you know, I was, I guess it was kind of the same thing for all the sports I did. It's like, once I committed to doing it, like that's, that's what I did, you know, right. and I didn't necessarily commit to doing it as well as I could, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the kind of kid who was a perfectionist in everything I did. But once I like signed up for the sport, like, you know, I was going to see it through to the end of the season. And so like my second run was probably the first day of practice. Um, I don't know, but you know, I did the, I did the second run because I was at practice, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't super motivated and running didn't really mean anything to me at that point. It was just like, well, I'm on the team and the team runs. And so I'm going to go for a run. Cool. Yeah. So fast forward a few years and you have found yourself at the Olympic trials. Um, and that was the 10 K, right? 
Yeah, well, more than a few, <laughs> more than a, few <laughs> a couple years. of years. Yeah, probably, uh, you know, almost ten years, eight to ten years. But uh, yeah, well, I ran the trials and the marathon first. Um, but yes, I also made the the track. What was what was that environment like? Um, at the track ten k. Yeah. Um, well, that was pretty. That was a pretty unreal experience for me. I was a fan of the sport. I knew the historical significance of Hayward. I. I loved watching Olympic trials races, you know, as a fan. And, and a year before that race, I had bought tickets to, to go as a spectator. Um, I bought tickets for myself and my dad. And that's before I ever had dreams of like pursuing a spot on the line. And so to be there was very surreal. It was, uh, you know, making the decision to move to Boulder and become a runner paid off uh, way quicker and in a much bigger way than I had ever imagined. I never expected to be there as an athlete. Um, and so, yeah, that experience was totally surreal. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have the emotional depth to really like appreciate it at the time. And so looking back on it now, I'm like, holy shit, kid, am I allowed to curse on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, man. Like you're at the Olympic trials. Yeah. Like, my parents are up there. Like I'm lining up next to the best runners in the country. Like, um, you know, it was an overload for sure, but an experience that I'll remember forever. So you said you never expected to be there, yet it was still the goal. So how do you balance like having I don't want to I don't want to say unrealistic goals, but like goals that are wildly that seem unattainable in the moment with putting in the work to actually make that happen cuz like you were working to get there, right? It wasn't just like you happened to be invited. It was, you know, you, you yeah, have to well, put in the work to get there. Yeah, I qualified. Right. Um, I, I would say getting to the Olympic track trials was not an explicit goal of mine. I would say that was kind of a happy accident as a byproduct of my other goal, which was just to get better at running, mm -hmm. um, which is why I moved here. And so, you know, I wasn't like a sponsored athlete or anything. I was just kind of a guy trying to get better and and it just so happened that in one of those races where I was trying to get better I ran faster than I thought I could and that time ended up getting getting, you there. getting me to the trials and so yeah the trials was it was a big that's a bigger goal than I would have ever set for myself but it it happened as a byproduct of a of my first and only goal which was just to improve just getting better um, so what seems to be so a lot of the guests on this podcast are pro and elite athletes that have had a lot of success or some success or something in between and a sentiment that keeps coming up is they're never focused on a tangible goal they're focused on a quantitative goal they're they're focused on a qualitative goal which is getting better over time and enjoying the process and um you know putting in the the little bricks to build the house um, how do you balance training for something like the Chicago Marathon or the Olympic Trials or whatever it might be with 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 a um goalposts that that aren't continually moving forward? So, like, how do you how do you put it in perspective with training for something big that you that you want to crush with trusting the long-term approach yeah i think i think it's almost been a little easier for me because i don't come from a background of elite performance like i never made the state meet in high school mm -hmm. went to a division three college i was never a national champion and so you know i never really had to cope with like intense expectations mm -hmm. or intense 
performance goals, I guess. My goal was always just to continue to improve. And when I made the decision to move out here, that was the only goal. And and then now fast forward a few years, like I've been really fortunate that that goal paid off. And now I do this for work and I'm a professional athlete. And so my goals do become more tangible. Um, you know, I have a goal of what I want to run at Chicago. A lot of times the goals are superimposed on us because we have to hit certain right. standards. But I see those things as within my capabilities. And so once you acknowledge that those standards are within your capabilities, then you're really back at the original goal, which is just to continue to better. fulfill your potential. Um, and so sometimes it's easy to lose sight of like fulfilling your potential and focus only on the number or focus only on the placing. And I, I found that that is not a good headspace for me. And I've been sucked into that trap before. And so now I feel like I'm back in a spot in my career where I can just be like, okay, Noah, all, all Noah has to do is be a better Noah. Like Noah doesn't yep. have to be Galen Rupp. Right. Um, and so that, that's been working for me. Yeah. I think that's the, the characteristic of like sustainable progress. And, and it's not, you know, I had Peter Bromka on the podcast mm-hmm. a couple of months ago before Boston and he was talking about how people come to him and they're like, I want to be Q in a year. And it's like, you can't have these unrealistic time goals that are imposed by somebody else. You have to train within yourself. And like, personally, I wanted to be Q four years ago and I only, and I said, I'm, I, my 5k time was, you know, good. And, and I said, Oh, I can, you know, train hard and, and do it. Well, fast forward four years. And I finally did after four attempts and all, all the time people are, one of the things that he was talking about was, um, he never understood the, the difficulty of a BQ until he set his goal as the OTQ, mm-hmm. because it's not your goal. It's somebody else's goal for you to achieve something else. So it's it's interesting that that you highlighted that you know you have goals for Chicago but they're part of that longer process. Yeah, it's more about like where do I see my potential? Right. And I think that number is attainable in Chicago. And does does that fit nicely in the goal of like achieving the Olympic standard? Yeah, those goals happen to coincide. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm lucky that the high end of my fitness I think overlaps with some of those standards. Um, but at the same time, if I go out there and I just improve, like, I mean, in my last marathon, I didn't improve, you know, between marathon one and two, I got worse, you know? And so if I can just go to marathon three and finish another step up one, it's like, can I be upset that I'm the best that I've ever been? Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what it comes down to. So what are you thinking about on the start line? Not much. Um, you know, by the time I get to the start line, it's just like. I just need to relax, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, especially in the marathon. I think uh, in some of the shorter races, you try to like hype yourself up because the it, the action is so intense from the beginning. Right. And the marathon, you know, I really shouldn't be working hard for another hour. Right. You know, and so it's really just about staying calm and any of the thinking and reflecting I've done have really happened in the days leading up to it. And so I think when I step to the star line, it's just having a calm mind and, and knowing that it's about to hurt a lot and just being willing to like lean into that and pursue that. And so, yeah, and I'm not all like, I'm not like blasting music before and hyping yeah. myself up because 
that's not a good use of my energy. Right. Maybe for a mile or a 5k. For sure. <laughs> but in the long races, you know, if I'm prepared, the preparation is done. Right. All I can do is, is go out according to my plan. Cool. So you just raced Philly. It was hot and humid and, um, you fought hard and you worked real hard at the end of it. Where does your head go? You know, you ran what? 63 and change. Yeah. 63 mid. So, where does your head go at, you know, minute 50, knowing that like these next 10 to 15 minutes are going to hurt a lot? Yeah, I think honestly, by minute 50, I'm in a better headspace than I am at minute 10. <laughs> um, because like, honestly, in a race like that, where the conditions were so tough, right? The, uh, the and you're already two miles in at mile 10. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was hurting. I mean, minute 10. Yeah, I was hurting bad. Right. You know, and so the finish line seemed so unobtainable right when you're two miles in it to a half and hurting so bad right that by the time i've gotten to a mile 10 or 11 the finish line is all of a sudden within attainable and i don't want to give up now because if i give up now then all the pain that i just (laughs) went through is really all for naught yeah and so it's it's much easier to push myself at that place and for me as an athlete getting through the beginning stages of a race are always like mentally way harder because by the time I get to minute 50, I'm committed. Like yeah. I'm all in already, yep. you know, it's like, you've showed your hand and, and it's, it, yeah. you're in. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm got, I got to push myself all the way. Right. At this point. Okay. So, so 10 to 30 minute, 10 to 30, where, what are you thinking about? It's not good. <laughs> you know, it's like, like I wish I, I wish I could tell you that I had some mantra and yeah, I was yeah. like rock solid or, but, yep. but in those minutes I was really just like, man, this is way harder <laughs> than it should be. This is way harder than I expected. Like, I know we passed the start line at mile five. Like, that would be a good place to drop out. Or should I not drop out and just dial the effort back right. and call it a good workout? Like, I'm already, I'm looking for ways to give myself an out, an out almost every time, yep. but especially when the conditions are bad. Like, I'm just fighting the urge to quit. And that's my least favorite part of the sport because that's such a bad place to be in and it's so easy to let that spiral so why didn't you um <laughs> i don't know <laughs> because because i know how badly i would hate myself yeah if i did that because i've done that before you know in my in my career i've quit when i looking back on it, i was just like man i could have just hurt for a few yeah it's like why did i just quit there like that was just like a stupid thing to do right and now i'm gonna be thinking about this for a year you know where so I think I've kind of learned that lesson where it's like if I'm hurting and looking for an out at mile three, it's it's almost I can see that as normal right. and like recognize that my thoughts are spiraling and I can just like... I, you said lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. I just keep going and sometimes I'll just say out loud like you're fine. Yeah. Like you're fine. And I'm like, I'm you know, people, my competitors probably think I'm a little nuts. <laughs> I'm like talking to myself Good. out loud. <laughs> yeah. And then I just know... I try to put it into minutes and t- in- instead of miles because miles can seem daunting sometimes. And so I'm just like, okay, if I can suffer through this headspace for 20 more minutes, I'll start feeling competitive and then that will carry me through the finish. Cool. So you talked about, you just said miles can seem daunting. Uh, we were talking before the podcast about running hundred miles and you said you had a bet with, uh, with Jim. Is that, is that something you can, you can share publicly? Yeah, uh, so I guess uh, for context, at the Houston half, he was going for the um, Olympic trial standard, 
This is Jim Walmsley. Jim Walmsley, and that was kind of a big, you know, big deal. Everyone wanted to see if the ultra guy could step down and right. run with the road guys. And so I was like, man, that's really cool, like how he can cross over. I mean, let's be honest, they're two different sports, like how he can right. cross over the two sports. And so just in the tent before that, I was like, hey, man, you know, if you I – can't, I can't remember if I said if you beat me or if you run under 63 minutes. It was one of those two. I was like, I will run a 100-mile <laughs> race within a year from here. Wow. And uh, it was kind of a joke, but also like <laughs> if he would have done it, I don't – I don't know. I probably would have like had to stay true to my word yeah. in, some, in some way, but uh, it w- it was kind of a joke because I really I admire him a lot. But if he beat me, that would have been a big upset because the road is my domain, right? You know. But anyway, uh, and I guess there is a part of me that wants to do that anyway. But that would have bumped the timeline <laughs> up by a lot. So so let's talk about that. So Jim has been pretty outspoken about how insanely difficult 100 milers are and and he's made some comments about you know some of the africans running you know come into the canyon and let's do 50 miles and you know i'll kick your ass basically and and i think i think he's totally right that it's it's a completely different sport you need completely different strengths um and it's a completely different headspace you know willing to suffer for two hours versus willing to suffer for five to, you know, 30 hours. Um, so right now you're running track and road and, and half marathons and marathons. Um, that's a max of, you know, no more than three hours if you have a very bad day in the marathon. <laughs> um, what is it about the 100 miler that, you know, Jim ran 14 and change and that was a record at Western States. What is it about the 100 mile distance that, that, I guess, intrigues you or interests you? Yeah, I mean, it'd be an entirely new experience and I think an entirely new way of uh, testing myself and, you know, those, like, negative thought spirals I was talking about that happened in the first 10, 20 minutes of my race, you know, can I deal first with that? First 10 to 20 miles. <laughs> yeah, can I deal with that for hours? Like, right. I don't know. And so I think a lot about, a lot of why we run is to learn about ourselves and to test ourselves and, you know, at this point, I've done that in every every distance in my domain. Right. And so the ultras are kind of the next uh, frontier. And I'm definitely not saying right now that I'm going to be doing an ultra right. like next my, year during yeah. my pro career. Mm-hmm. You know, my pro career is up to the marathon, and that's and yeah. that's it. But I do have a lot of respect for that world. And uh, you know, I, I'm also a cycling fan. If I can go on a tangent here for a second, um, there's a team called EF Education First, and they have a rider named Lachlan Morton. Um, who I think lives in Boulder. But anyway, they have been allowing him, instead of the pursuing just the world tour circuit, to now go and do some rides. Um, like he just rode the Colorado Trail and he's done, he did the Leadville 100. And so to listen to him, this world tour rider, talk about how he's learning so much about himself pursuing these alternative races has been super inspiring for me. Uh, because it's like, yeah, do I do I know how I react at the high end of racing in my domain? Sure, but I don't know anything. Where's about Where's your limit? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, down down the road, I think that's uh, pun intended. Yeah, uh, I think that's that'd be something cool for me to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that the lessons you learn, as you said, in the longer stuff, whether it's a half marathon, marathon, fifty k, fifty mile, whatever it trickles down. Um, so like I said, I was chasing that BQ for years 
and I decided to switch to trail running for a stretch of time, and I ran a 50K, and a 50K tra- uh, run and training put the marathon training in perspective. I was doing four and a half hour runs, which made, you know, when I got back into marathon cycle, a two hour run seemed like, oh, it's only two hours. Sick. (laughs) Um, And then the hurt of, you know, mile 21 was nothing like the hurt of like hour six. And I think that, you know, obviously I'm in a different place because I don't have to perform for my job, but and I can take these risks and, you know, do that. But anyone's, you know, able to take risks and take, you know, try something new. I think it's it's really interesting to totally shake it up sometimes and, and see what you can learn from something so humbling. Yeah. It'll kick your ass. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I even find that just like in marathon training compared to what I'm... Compared to the half, yeah. Half and 10K. I mean, yeah, the your scope of relativity just changes so much and so i'm like okay if i'm a two-hour race compared to a one-hour race like let's talk 16 hours (laughs) right two hours like i I feel like it multiplies yeah um well that's super cool so what's your favorite distance um my favorite distance is probably the half right now um i've definitely had my most success over 10k and half but i do love something about just like running really hard for about an hour and um and you know how there's the range of emotions you can feel there I, but really my heart lies in becoming a successful marathoner. Um, I've had a couple bad experiences now, and so I'm still waiting to like finish that marathon where I'm like, okay, that went that well. That was well executed. Yeah, yeah, my preparation showed itself. Um, and so I think once I finally break through there, like hopefully it's this October, who knows, I think, uh, you know, I want to be a marathoner. That's what I want to be. Cool. What What do you think it is about the marathon? you think it's the the challenge? That like you can only do it a couple times a year. Yeah, it, it it's high stakes. You know, you pour so much, and you, you can only race twice a year. Right. Um. There's no guarantee you're even going to get to the start line healthy. <laughs> right. And one thing I've learned about elite marathoning and probably marathoning at every level, you can have great preparation and it could just not happen. Right. Or you could have bad poor preparation and you pull off a miracle. You know, it's just like there's nothing guaranteed in the marathon, but. It is an exercise in patience and tenacity and focus and uh, a lot of qualities that you use in the shorter distances, but just not to the same extent. And so it really felt like, you know, just coming to the marathon in the last year or two, a unique challenge, a new thing for me to do. And yeah, kind of like a new sport almost. Cool. Do you have like a benchmark workout that you, that you go to in a longer build? Um, or in a, in a build for a longer race. Yeah, not not super specifically because now the this will be my third marathon build up and they've all been fairly different, but I think using the long run as more of a workout instead of more just like long slow miles is important and so um just for like the data people I guess a couple of weeks ago we did a workout that was uh like 6 miles warming up and then eight miles at six minute pace and then eight miles at five minute pace. And so, and then a cool down. So it turned out to be a 23 mile day. So a pretty good long run, but in there, you know, from, from miles like, you know, 14 or 12 to 20, like I'm running really hard. Right. And so if I can run my 20th mile in five minutes in training, you know, like hopefully come race day, 
that sensation is a little bit easier. Yeah. And so those, those are the kind of workouts that give me a lot of confidence. They're not necessarily my favorite thing to do always, but I think they're a necessity when you start talking about like long distance races. Yeah. Are you, what are you doing the day after a long run like that? Ugh, staring at the wall, <laughs> putting myself back together. I mean, I'll still usually run twice, but they're short and, and slow by my standards. And, you know, I generally, I just feel so drained that I'm just like trying to relax. I have the luxury of being a professional athlete now and I don't have to go to work anymore. Um, and so that's huge. I can just kind of recover, but, uh, yeah, nothing sexy. I mean, <laughs> I'm just like, just trying to get my levels back up, I guess. Yep. Um, so one thing that I think is important for amateurs to hear is just how slow people like you go compared to your race pace on these easy days. So your marathon pace is what in the, uh, I mean, ideally it'll be around five minutes. So what, what's your easy pace or recovery pace? Um, it's whatever I need yeah. to feel recovered to be honest. And so it's not, I'm never shooting for a number. Right, but so run, so but, uh, that, I think that piece is important to highlight as well. But what is that? What does that number yeah. look like? Is it a seven? Is it an eight? Uh, well, today uh, I ran ten miles easy this morning, um, coming off the race two days ago, and my first mile was like eight fifteen. Nice. And so by the end of the run, you know, I'm probably running more like seven fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a seven thirty average over the whole thing. I think it'd be really rare for me to run much under seven minute pace. Yeah, I think um, that's I think that's awesome. And and a lot of I think amateurs are in that gray zone of, you know, they're running their easy days at seven fifteen to seven thirty and and that's too fast. Yeah. It's it's like you get better on your hard days, right? right. And so if you're coming into your hard days not fully recovered, um you're doing it wrong. Right. You're not getting better on your easy days. You're just you're just right. getting ready for your next hard day. And so, like, a lot of times I'll go out on loops that I just, I know the distance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just won't wear a watch at all. Yeah. Um, so, like, I have an eight-mile loop and I'll just go run it. And I'll have no idea what I just ran for the loop. I don't look at the time when it's I just leave. Just all effort, yeah. There's no time at all. I just barely jog the first mile, get into a rhythm, and eventually it's done, and I know how far I ran. Yeah, and uh, that's it. I think that's a really good recipe for for success and for continuing to improve. I ran with Matt Daniels this morning, and you know he's a sub four miler. He was fourth at Western State, so safe to say he's like pretty fit. And I felt like nervous about running with him because I, obviously I'm nowhere near that level. And he was like, you lead, you know, do whatever you want. I got a big workout tomorrow. I'll run as slow as, as slow as uh, you want. And I think that that approach is like the demarcation between easy and hard. The bigger that gap can be, the more impact you can have and the more you can, the more you can improve. Yeah. I mean, I never feel like there's a mile wasted, you know, whether I run at 830 pace or a five minute pace. I'm like, you know, the five minute pace mile is going to get me a little more race ready, but like. 830 miles a mile I ran, you know, right. like, I'm counting it. <laughs> like Definitely. Um, all right. So we have, we have a handful of, of fan and family and f- training partners submitted questions. Oh, so, yeah. so buckle up. This is going to get, uh, it's going to get good. So the first one, um, I think, you know, who may have asked this, but how, do, how do you handle the intense pressures of being a professional athlete and a first class stay at home dog dad? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is immense pressure. Uh, you know, obviously, I have to get my work done, but then there's this creature at home, like, depending on me to take her out. That's not a nice way to talk. No, you know? <laughs> take her outside three times a day. And so uh, it's a big responsibility. Is your girlfriend? <laughs> you obviously want to raise a dog that is, you know, a, a respected member of the community right. and a global citizen. Yep. So I do my best. You know? Nice. Um, what are you really bad at? Uh, I'm really bad at, I'm really bad at way more than I'm really good at. That's, <laughs> what that's, tops the list? Um, communication is pro is probably bad for me. Um, I feel tremendously guilty sometimes that my sport is a very selfish one. And a lot of times I feel like I ignore my friends and family for no reason, just because my emotional energy is very low from putting it all into right. what I do. And uh, so that's probably the thing that I feel the worst about um, just how long it takes me to get back to the people I care about for like literally no reason other than I'm just like tired. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I can't handle this right now. And that's like such a shitty thing for me to do and shitty way for me to think. But like, yeah, it's like I moved away from my friends and family. Right. And then I came all the way out here and now it's like hard for them to get in touch with me. So how do you sort of compartmentalize that and, and not let it you know get to you? Uh, I don't. <laughs> like it, <laughs> it, it gets to me. Um, and sometimes I'm better at it than others about, you know, being that, proactive about keeping in touch. Is that seasonal? Does it sort of ebb and flow with how hard you're training? Yeah, for sure. Like if I'm training super hard, I honestly just don't have the emotional capability to be there for the people that I love in the way that I would want to be. Um, and that's been hard for me to swallow because like I'm selfish with my time, but I also have to be selfish with my energy mm -hmm. and my output. And, uh, so I'm bad at that, you know, like I'm bad at other things, but that's the thing I, that I'm bad at that I feel worst about. Got it. Um, you have a, a fairly active social media presence. Is your approach to social media intentional? Is it sort of that's who you are and it's easy to do? What's what's your what's your approach with that? Because it's it's entertaining from from the other side for sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah, social media is something that I don't totally understand, and I'm totally. I don't think anybody like, does. Yeah, not super comfortable with it, but I do understand its component as part of my job as a right. professional athlete with some amount of reach and influence. Mm -hmm. um, like I did not have an Instagram before I started running professionally. Right. My Twitter had laid dormant for a long time. Just, you know, I only used it in college to talk about drinking and smoking <laughs> weed and stuff. And like, when and that I, was the intent in college. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like when I became a professional athlete, I was like, well, I'm going to go clean this up. This other stuff. Yeah. And, and, uh, so anyway, like I feel like I can use it and still express like my true self, I guess. I'm never putting anything up there that I don't think and I don't believe and I try not to be like a product shill, right? you know? And so I think I can express myself honestly and still use social media. I think that's like a fine line. Um, but I definitely see a lot of social media that I don't like from other people and I'm just like, okay, this is like what I don't want to be. right? And so... I try to be as authentic as possible, but I also know like the dangers of like the comparison game. And so I, I don't want to ever, I don't want people to see the shit that I put out and be like, Oh I man, must do that. I yeah. feel bad about myself because I'm not doing what Noah's doing. Right. And so I tried, I like on Twitter, it's mostly just like, 
observations that I have. But yeah. like on Instagram, I try to share like a, a little bit more intimately my process. And like if I'm struggling, like I'll tell you that to some extent. You yeah. Know? I think that that's huge. Um, again, particularly for amateurs that they see that pros struggle and don't have good races and um, drop out sometimes and things like that. And, and I think it, it moves the sport forward. It's, you know, shitty in the moment, but it moves the sport forward to be able to see that this struggle is shared no matter what level you're at. Yeah. And I don't necessarily share the nuts and bolts of my training. I mean, it is public. Um, My log, my running log is public out there if you can find it, but I don't think the nuts and bolts of my training are important as much as it is like, Hey guys, I felt really bad. Right. This injury was really bumming me out. But like I'm optimistic about the future, yada yada. So that's the stuff that I'll share and that I hope resonates and whatever, man. I don't care. Like, <laughs> like I really appreciate the support and I I understand the necessity of social media in the world that I live in. And so I just try to use it in a way that doesn't feel icky to me. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's uh it's a tough tough nut to crack for sure. Um, what do you wish your fans knew about you? Um, I guess I, I just, and maybe they do, but I just wish a lot of them knew that my background is pretty different from your average professional athlete. Like I was a normal person. I had normal jobs. Like I did all this other stuff. And so sometimes I meet people and they're, kind of wide-eyed and they like look at me like i'm something like a creature from outer space yeah and they're like oh i can't believe i can't believe you're like a nice guy or right. like a normal guy or whatever and i'm just like I'm a t- like, <laughs> i put I, my pants on one leg at a time yeah. yeah and so not to sound like a dick or anything but it's just like yeah it's like i i'm lucky enough that the high end of my fitness allows me to perform at it right at a on a big stage um but i struggle a lot you know, with very normal things right. that I think everyone else struggles with too. And so, you know, I wish people would stop putting us on a pedestal like that and just like appreciate us for humans. And I want people to be able to come up and talk to me like, like I'm their neighbor, you know, and not, yeah. and not some like professional guy with high quality images they see on Instagram, you know, you'd love the trail scene then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a good point. Um, it's always funny when people meet pro athletes and um, get to that point and like understand that, oh, that's a normal person. Like for my job, I get to meet a lot of pro athletes and a lot of elite athletes. And I'm often around people meeting the same pro athletes. And the observations are always the same. Like, wow, that person was really cool. It's like, did you think they weren't going to be cool? Like, why? Why? Yeah. everyone's just a person everyone's just a human and at the end of the day everybody struggles and everyone has these like characteristics about them that make them unique um and i think that social media allows people to get access to um people they wouldn't normally get access to and some of the feedback i've gotten on this podcast is that people enjoy the like behind the scenes look at what makes an elite athlete tick and Again, the the sentiment is like these are all just normal people with normal people struggles and um, just doing it faster than than other people. Mm-hmm. 
which is yeah I, I guess maybe we should try to appear like superheroes because it's probably kind of boring when they find out <laughs> just start wearing a cape I'm just like fucking joe schmo or whatever it's like why, why am i even following this guy well yeah you might just this podcast might actually get you uh, a lot of unfollowers yeah, so, so yeah. apologies in advance might as well just go home and shred my contract <laughs> sorry brands um so speaking of superheroes and superhuman um, capabilities, uh, whose power mustache does yours most resemble? Selleck, Pre, or White Goodman? Uh, who is White Goodman? White Goodman is from Dodgeball. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> um you know, my my dad always had a mustache, and so like that's where I think I, I truly got it from. But if I, I – you know – I love pre. I'm, I'm totally bought into the mystique of Prefontaine. All right, and so like, uh, you know, if people see a little bit of that in me, like that's, that's not bad. That, that's an honor. I'll take that. Cool. Um, while we're on the topic, um, another another submitted question was: Was there any pressure to follow in your dad's footsteps to Franklin College? What was the response of other runners when you tell them? Or what is the response of other runners when you tell them you went to a D three school? Um, no is the answer to the first question. So my dad was a pretty good high school runner, um, went to Franklin college for his freshman year. Franklin college is a small school in Indiana D three. Um, but he transferred to IU after his sophomore year and stopped running. So he was only there for a year, but he did hold the eight K cross country school record up until I got to college, which is pretty cool. And I did visit Franklin college, um, probably miscommunication, but the coach, like didn't show up to our meeting. And so I was just like, well, yeah, probably not. You know, I got a lot of schools to visit. Yeah. Like I'll just cross this one off. Right. Um, no, my, my parents have never put any pressure on me to do anything um, other than pursue the things that are important to me. And so, you know, school choice was my decision um, in terms of division three. Like that's definitely a unique path to where I am now. Um, no one like, it's cool because other division three athletes see that and they're like, wow, you know, I can do it too. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's really aspirational. Cool. Um, talking to D one people, they're just, they just don't really care. Yeah. You know, they're just like, Oh cool. Where was that? You know? And they don't really get it. So yep. the D three community is pretty cool. I started, I actually started my own podcast this year. Cool. Um, focused around D three running. So it is kind of cool to be And there's a few of us now, but like one of the D three guys who like, went on to show the world outside of division three that like, Hey, we're still like, we're, we can be good too. Right. You know, give the, give the podcast a plug. What's it called? Yeah. A podcast called D three glory days. And so we interview, uh, current or <clears throat> former pros, um, about their division three careers and how that led them to where they are now. Cool. How's your experience been with, with hosting that podcast? It's been great. Yeah. Um, we we're we're four in now. And so, Every, You've beaten the average. Most podcasts never make it past uh, two. So oh, well done. Yeah, we, our episode four should drop uh, sometime <laughs> this week. Um, so it's been great, like, and hearing other people and kind of comparing them just in my own head to my own story. It, some people have similar trajectories. Some are very different. Um, yeah, well, and some of them are very early in their pro careers or haven't even, like, truly started it yet. So it'll be fun to fun to watch them. Cool. Uh, what's your guess for the number of questions that uh, Willie Millum submitted? Um, 69. Nice. <laughs> uh, the first part of that is correct. The answer was six. Oh, okay. um, who, is his, who is your least favorite teammate? Uh, 
It's, you don't have to answer that. No, it's got to be Willie. <laughs> Fair it's enough. 100% got to be Willie. Just, uh, you know, supporting him through every workout is just a real <laughs> Just drain. a struggle. It's a, it's a dramatic drain on me, but he's a good guy outside of practice. <laughs> nice. Uh, what deodorant do you wear? I'm not sure why he wants to know this. But. Um, to be at the risk of like putting people off, most of the time I don't wear uh, deodorant uh, so, at all. So that's why he's asking. Maybe. Got I, it. I don't know if he knows that about me, but um, every now and then if I'm going to be like on an airplane or something, I'll sneak in and steal him as deodorant. Um, so hopefully she's not listening to this either. But I do not own my own stick of deodorant. Wow. All right. I was wondering what that smell was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who is the most attractive runner right now? Attractive runner? Yeah. You can thank <laughs> Willie. <laughs> well, my, my girlfriend, Emma, is a runner. An Olympic trials qualifier, and she's smoking hot. That's a great answer. So it's got to be her. Perfect. Yeah. Um, which Always Sunny character do you most identify with? Um, pro- probably, probably Charlie. <laughs> yeah, probably Charlie. Nice. Um, what are your thoughts on Fish and why it's the greatest band in the history of the world? Uh, did Willie submit that question? No. Oh, okay. I, was like, I was like, I don't think Willie knows who Fish Curveball. Um, His sixth one we won't, we won't go with. I do not have strong feelings on Fish. My mom had like a Fish box set that I used to throw on when I was a kid and just like kind of jam out to it. My mom's kind of an old hippie. Um, but an old hippie that has Twitter. She replied to one of the questions. She does have Twitter now, <laughs> which is insane. She also has an Instagram. Um, does she like all your posts? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Will yeah. she listen to the podcast and and text you about it afterwards? Um, I don't know. She, my parents are not. I haven't really exposed them so much to the podcast world, and so my mom is a loyal NPR listener. And so, unless this is like syndicated on NPR, it's actually right live streaming on NPR right now. Right now yeah. yeah, so she, she'll probably hear. <laughs> cool. It. Well, hello. Um, <laughs> what are you scared of? Uh. Oh God, like how dark do you want me to get here? Go as dark as you want. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm, one thing, at least in my career, that really scares me is never having the opportunity to showcase like how good I think I can be, you know, because, and that happens all the time. You know, someone get, catches an injury, right. there's a couple opportunities, you have a bad day and you never reach, you never reach that, uh, that, pinnacle of your yeah. potential and so and so that's one thing that scares me that for factors outside of my own control i won't achieve what i want to achieve um mike wardian had literally the exact same answer yeah it's terrifying yeah it's, it's, it's scary but that's like the reality of the sport um the like another fear i have is just being like left to my own devices will i allow relationships that are important to me to fade um because it's like I talked about earlier, it's a constant struggle with me. So how do you how do you manage that balance, and how do you maybe balance is the wrong word, but how do you how do you manage that? Because um, that's very real for you know everyone, and that's a struggle for everyone. And an interesting, I mean, I, like I said, I ask a couple of questions repeatedly on this podcast, and the the balance one is is one that people go either you know far one way or far the other way um i think it's it's fascinating to hear just how different everyone is but what's how do you manage that i think i'm lucky in that the people who are really important to me understand 
you know, they're not necessarily runners themselves, but they understand that what I do just takes a tremendous amount of just overall energy. And so they kind of get it. They understand that they may not hear from me for months and that doesn't make me feel any better. Right. It's nice that they get it. And on the other hand, I have friends who are willing to do a lot of the friendship legwork, you know, like they're going to pick up the phone, they're going to text me, they're going to, and like, and especially Emma, uh, my girlfriend, like, you know, she kind of pressures me and makes me do things that if I was living alone, I just take a nap. Wouldn't do. Yeah. You know, I would just like, I would just beat myself. Like what, what, what are some of those things? You know, she'll like calling my parents. Yeah. I love my parents so much and I love talking to them and I'm always glad I did. But sometimes it's just like, it's hard for whatever reason I have a block about like picking up the phone and calling. And so she'll be like, Hey, you really need to call your dad. Like, you know, you know, you want to, right? you know, like, you know, you need to. Right. And so do it. And so having that external voice pressuring me to do those things is like really good for me. Um, how long have you guys been together? Uh, well, we met at the Houston Half Marathon in January two years ago. So we've known each other for two and a half years. I guess you'd call it two years and change. So she's seen she's seen a a, a nice trajectory. Yeah, over a couple of years. Yeah, she's she's seen me have a lot of success in my career and also go through yeah. periods where I was pretty sure my career was over. Um, you know, where I just didn't think running was right. for me anymore. And so she's uh, seen the gamut of that, <laughs> you know. And so I, I think when you're with – and she, we've lived together a long time now. So, you know, you see people across the whole spectrum and you learn how to support them at different places in that spectrum. Definitely. Um, fast forward five years. What are you doing? Five years. Um, I hope that I'm lucky enough to continue running professionally for five more years. If I were to sign another contract at the end of 2020, which is when mine is up, that would take me until my until my 34th birthday. Um, and if I could make it that long, I would tr- consider that a huge accomplishment. Um, so I would love to continue running um, for one more Olympic cycle. Like that's important to me. That's motivating for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Outside of that, you know, I'm still kind of piecing together what it is exactly that I want to do. Um, I coach, I'm an assistant coach at Boulder High School here in cross country. Like coaching is something that... Was that like the fittest team in uh, in the country? Uh, I, I, we're trying to get them there. <laughs> um, we definitely have some talented kids for yeah. sure. Uh, but it's important to me to be a good role model for them to share some of the things that I've learned. Mm-hmm. And so I think coaching is intriguing to me. Um, I'm also... I, I also like consider myself an athlete's advocate and I like the business side of the sport and I see athletes being taken advantage of all the time and they don't even know it. Um, in what, in what regard? In terms of contracts and money and mm-hmm. just appearances and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, why are you promoting this product for free? Yep. You know, why are you doing this? Like you don't have to do this. Like you can, you can pay your rent. Um, so anyway, that's a rant, but, uh, I think the sports agency side of it, is intriguing to me. I've been lucky to work with a really good agent, Josh Cox. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think in handling some stuff myself now, I think I can, uh, I think that's something I can share with the running world and make sure that athletes who deserve it are given the opportunity to pursue the life they want without worrying about 
paying rent. Um, and you know, Emma is going to be applying to, she is applying to PhD schools. Like we don't know a hundred percent where that's going to take us yet. So definitely like in our roles now, I am absorbing a lot of support. Um, and so I hope that when I no longer require it to that, to the same extent that I can then turn the tables and support her more and the thing that she's pursuing and support other people in my life too, that I just like have not been given that I'm not giving their just deserves. And so those are like two career things that I'm thinking about. And then just like in general, like becoming more of the supporter myself instead of the sponge. (laughs) Nice. Um, that's aspirational. Um, what are some of your favorite places here in Boulder? Yeah. Um, Trails or road or, or workouts. Are you a Magnolia road fan? Sure. Yeah. Um, there's like, there's a lot of places in Boulder that I see as having a tremendous amount of historical importance. And I love being on Magnolia road or the dirt roads around Boulder reservoir mm-hmm. and just imagining the people who have used these roads to accomplish like yeah, incredible, incredible things. things. I was out on one of those dirt roads near the reservoir and the Japanese team was just running by Yeah, and it was just, it was pretty cool to see. Yeah. I mean, international athletes, I mean, people have trained for world records on those roads yeah. and gold medals and, and still active at like Jenny Simpson will fly by every now and then like all kinds of stuff. And so I love to be out there pursuing my own goals, but imagining what these roads have done for other people too. And so it's not like this. Yeah. We're in Boulder. The scenery is beautiful. The mountains are cool. Like we're at altitude. All those factors are nice, but I love just thinking about like the energy that has been poured into like the road. This training ground. Yeah. The yeah. training ground. It's like hollowed ground. Yeah. You know? It's like, I'm a big, like, you know, war guy like and like i was big civil war buff and stuff and so you know you always think about hallowed ground of like battlefields and like what happened there yeah you know i think you know to maybe a less drastic (laughs) extent like you think about what happened on these roads and that's cool to me that makes sense so the next time you're in or around boston you have to go to battle road it's a it's a seven or 14 mile if you do it as an out and back dirt road that has uh it's in lexington and concord um and it has signs like british soldier buried here or like this battle happened right here and it's like this happened right there um and it's like a a rolling uh history lesson yeah that's awesome that combines two of my favorite things (laughs) there you go yeah (laughs) well cool that's uh that's out in boston um it's it's a training ground for for the flagstaff or the bowler of the east yeah (laughs) um what are some things that you wish you knew 10 years ago or five years ago that you know now, given everything that you've experienced in what's brought you to today? Let's see, 10 years ago, well, am I now? I'm 29, 19. Um, well, maybe five years ago, like coming out of college, like maybe I wish I would have made the jump sooner to pursue the thing that I was passionate about. So take the risk, take the risk sooner. I graduated in 2013 and I moved out here at the end of 2015. And in those intervening years, like I was living in Indianapolis and had a good time, you know, and I was hanging out with my friends, but I very much graduated college thinking that running was over and that it was now time for me to like 
find what I was passionate about and find the next thing when really you already found it. Yeah. Yeah. I already found it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like eventually like I built up the courage, I guess, to like move out here and, uh, you know, it worked out super, everything has worked out for me. And so it's like, I have no complaints because where I'm at right now is like a better spot than I could have imagined for myself Cool. to be totally honest. And so like if we're like, picking straws or whatever the fuck like maybe i would have moved out here in 2013 but like but also maybe it wouldn't have worked out maybe the timing wasn't right and so i'm really happy with where i am now and everything that's happened in my life like you know mostly good and some unfortunate like i'm happy with where i am now cool i think that's a good place to stop thanks so much for uh for for joining today and um excited to follow along in chicago and and beyond. Yeah, thanks for having me. This of course. Really comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you might never leave. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Bye. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.